Welcome to the CEC report for the 20th of March 2018. I'm Elisa Barwick and joining me today is CEC leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome Craig. Yeah, thanks Elisa. And on today's show, breakthrough for Glass-Steagall in Australia and Syria and Russia lies unravel, expect threats to escalate. So firstly to today, very good news, breakthrough for Glass-Steagall in Australia. Now, there really is a political shockwave sweeping this country at the moment, Craig, as a result of the various truths that are being exposed by the Royal Commission. Mm. Uh, now, let me just say that over the last year, it's been rather extraordinary to see the shifts that have happened because, remember, June last year, you had the Parliament that was voting on a parliamentary inquiry into the banks and came within one vote. In fact, it was the casting vote of the Speaker of the House that prevented that happening. And the next thing that really was a fatal mistake was that surreptitiously and quietly, the government, a couple of months later, tried to sneak through legislation not to rein in the banks, which the population and parliamentarians were demanding, but to give APRA and the banks more powers under a crisis situation um, to seize deposits, to seize other kinds of investments in banks, the bail-in bill which we famously fought. Of course, now, APRA, Lisa, is a regulator. It's supposed yes. to be overlooking the banks. But as we've said many times in our publications, it's actually allowed the banks to get away with all sorts of criminality that's, that's now it. been exposed. Exactly. Now, our campaign on bail-in was then the critical factor because it led to uh, the demand coming from Parliament for a parliamentary um, commission to investigate that legislation and that mobilised, allowed us to mobilise the population to really draw out the fervour uh, to, to rein in the banks and the government basically jumped before they were pushed on the Royal Commission at that mm. point because the banking establishment were completely freaked out at where this would go. So given all that, put the Royal Commission into the context of what now is coming out in these various hearings. Govern MPs all of a sudden are saying, oh, we were wrong to oppose the Royal Commission. This bank behaviour is disturbing. The government today is talking tough new penalties, greater fines, and bankers even doing jail time. Um, Finance Minister Matthias Cormann this morning, uh, yesterday, said that if the Commissioner were to ask for more time for his Royal Commission, you can safely assume the government would accept that request. So this is a big shift. Now in that context, Craig, uh, the CEC is very happy to announce that the Federal Member of Parliament for Kennedy in Queensland, Bob Catter, is going to table a private member's bill for Glass-Steagall legislation in Australia. Yeah, that's right, Elisa. This is very good news. Uh, we've written the legislation for this bill, which people can call in and get a copy of. And it, look, what it does is effectively introduces an Australian version of Glass-Steagall. And what does it do? Glass-Steagall means you separate out the commercial banking system, what we call the boring banking system. That's just the normal banks which go about banking business, like taking in deposits, issuing loans, and mortgages and those sorts of things. That's all it does and it looks after its own customers. And the deposits in that case are guaranteed, right? That's separated out from all the other issues that we've been hearing, all the criminality, the finance, the, the finance, um, uh, the insurance I should say, aspects, the stockbroking, all of this sort of stuff, derivative, speculation from the merchant investment banking side. That's all broken up. So what this bill does, it specifically brings into Australian context how that can be done. Secondly, and most importantly, it puts APRA, the regulator that's been responsible for overseeing all this criminality and all the problems that are coming up, under the purview of Parliament. 
So it cannot be dictated by foreign organisations like the Bank of International Settlements and the International Financial Stability Board. It has to look first and foremost for its direction from the Australian people. So Bob Catter is introducing this bill. I happen to have read his book. I found it a fascinating book. People should get to read it because he also, Bob comes from an area uh, where Ted Theodore, the very famous former treasurer of Australia, mm. comes from. And Ted Theodore, back in the Depression, tried to solve the Depression by introducing what's called a, a fiduciary note issue of £18 million at that point to fund 50,000 jobs. Now, that would have broken the back of the Depression. So Bob Catter has a lot to say about Ted Theodore in his book. He supports the idea of national banking. He's made speeches in Parliament that people can go and look at. And you'll see mm. this is not something for Bob Catter that is out of the normal. Yeah. This is part and parcel of what he's been campaigning for a long he, time. Yeah, he was one of the key people pushing for the parliamentary inquiry into the banks all along, leading the way. Now, he needs people to back him up. He needs MPs to second this and to support it, to get it through the Parliament. So we have one job for you this week for all of our viewers and supporters out there. Call your Member of Parliament and to demand that he or she support this bill or second this bill. Yeah, this is the key, Elisa. Right now it's back to the hands of the people. If you yeah, want to actually have real right. reform in this country, start to get active. Otherwise, look, you know, the politicians that say, oh, the bank's behaviour was disturbing, why are they protecting the banks? Yep, exactly. Now, we've got to take a quick break, but right after this, we're going to take, talk about a number of other voices that are now calling for Glass-Steagall in this environment. Welcome back to the CEC report where we're talking about the breakthrough for Glass-Steagall in Australia at the moment uh, and of course the various uh, home truths that are coming out of this Royal Commission are really driving an mm. awakening not just among the population most of whom already knew this but amongst the leaders in across the country who have been told that our banks are so safe and stable and they're beginning to realise this is lies. Um, so some of what's been coming out include uh, banks lying and hiding their misconduct from regulator. I mean, AMP admitted lying 20 times to ASIC. Well, that's what they're at least telling us. Banks trapping customers in high fees, high-risk investments, charging for services not rendered, charging people after they died for years, decades. Mm. Um, so this is incredible stuff. Now, on Monday morning, Craig, as the Royal Commission began its second round of hearings here in Melbourne, uh, we and some of our supporters and from other groups had a rally out the front of the Royal Commission uh, hearings there in, in Melbourne. And we're going to show a couple of quick clips from both you and from uh, a Bank Reform Now representative from the ground Monday morning. Hi, Benjamin Pierce here for the CEC Report. We're at the Law Courts here in Melbourne for the second round of hearings for the Banking Royal Commission. I've got Dario Papalado here from Bank Reform Now. Dario? Yeah, good morning. Um, All right, can you tell us a little bit about why you're here today? Well, look, uh, many of the uh, issues, uh, obviously, with the banks, we're here to represent uh, many victims who uh, have been uh, done over very, very, um, very badly by the banks. Uh, and obviously, uh, we're here to uh, voice our concerns about APRA, who uh, are not doing their job and policing the banks and really coming down on them, you know, like a ton of bricks. And what do you think the uh, Commission should be focusing on with respect to APRA? Look, uh, the uh, Commission should uh, initially broaden the uh, terms of reference. Uh, the 12 months, uh, obviously, length for the Royal Commission is not sufficient. Um, they should be fully investigating the activities, uh, the crimes, so obviously, the banks are, uh, are uh, you know, are up to. Uh, so um, we're here to basically, you know, try and 
voice our concerns, um, you know. All right, well, thank you for being part of the rally today. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be here. And we'll make sure we get the message out. Thank so you. Hi, Benjamin Pierce here for the CEC report. We're out the front of the law courts for the Banking Royal Commission, the second round of hearings. We've got Craig Isherwood, leader of the CEC, here. Uh, Craig, welcome. Yeah, thanks, Ben. And what can you tell us about this rally we're holding here today? Look, look Ben, the issue is that APRA is not, hasn't been able to put, put under any scrutiny whatsoever by this Royal Commission because it was written out of the terms of reference by the, uh, the Prime Minister when it started as an absolute scandal. Look, APRA oversaw many of the atrocities that the banking system suffered in the last 20 years, since 1998 in fact. So what we are calling for is an expansion of the Royal Commission. Right now, bring back APRA, put it on the stand. Look, if you go back and look at APRA's history, 2007 there was a report it itself published, which we've come to know about, that documents how APRA itself is responsible for the mortgage fraud that's been taking place today, how it inflated and changed the, the uh, regulation rules and so forth to benefit the banks. And you can see our sign at the back here where we've got, you know, APRA as a shepherd hurting the, the, uh, the banks. Well, the fact is that the banks, the, the, the uh, APRA, doesn't represent the interests of the people. When it was established, it was established for two things, so-called to protect deposits but also for financial stability. Now what they don't tell people is that they're more interested in financial stability of the system, which means at the end of the day they can look at bailing in deposits. Now people say, oh but the recent legislation that you guys campaigned on didn't include or give APRA the power to bail in deposits. We say that's a load of rubbish because they refused, absolutely refused and the government refused to allow amendments to legislation to rule out that in the case of a crisis people's deposits would not be touched. Now APRA has that power. So here you have a, uh, an organisation that watched over all the criminal activities that we've seen happen with the Commonwealth Bank and the, the money laundering and so forth. This organisation has to be put under the spotlight. It must be done so otherwise this Royal Commission will be just a travesty of justice. And we'll have to call for another one. So Ben, that's what we're here for. We're just making a loud noise today for that reason. And we seem to be getting a lot of support out here at the moment, which is yep, good. Absolutely, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to send a strong message while we're here today rallying to get APRA investigated by the Commission. Back to you at the show. Now, in this environment, supercharged environment on the banks, Craig, just in the last few days alone, there's been a number of other people talking about Glass-Steagall or separating the banks, which is another way of describing it, or ending mm. vertical yeah. integration which is having all the various services under the one roof. Uh, now, I'll go through them. We had Professor Alan Fells, the former ACCC chairman, the Australian Consumer Competition Council. He said, I believe the Royal Commission needs to look at structural separation as a possible remedy. This is usually far more effective than trying to regulate the behaviour of banks. And he did say it would require new legislation, but... Mr. Fells, we've got it. We've written it. It's and ready to, listen, to go. I wanted to say here, in our legislation, we're very specific about what banks can do and what they can't do. So all this stuff that you've got with vertical integration, right, all this corruption with the insurance company scams of charging people insurance they don't use, banks can't do that anymore. No. And the difference with our legislation as opposed to these general statements as we go through it, we're very, very specific on what banks can do as a bank and what they can't do. Yeah. And this is going to really uh, you know, lay the groundwork for a stable banking system. Yep. So this stuff doesn't come there's, up anymore. This is what Glass-Steagall is about, mm. specifying what a commercial bank is and how it will operate. Yep. 
And so Fells went on, he said, separation should be an issue. The Royal Commission addresses very directly if it's to stamp out this behaviour. So that's very good. Um, now, New South Wales National Senator John Wacker Williams said today, I've been saying this for years, vertical integration is wrong. I think the sooner that's broken up, the better. And even the Greens Treasury spokesperson Craig, Senator Peter Wish Wilson, who we had some run-ins around the bail-in legislation because he ultimately supported it, though he did say we should have a debate about Glass-Steagall because mm -hmm. he knew that was the only thing that would make us and all the people that wrote to the Commission happy. Um, so he commented on what Fell had to say, welcoming that. He said that tighter regulation simply won't be enough and that a vertical and horizontal breakup of the banks be seriously considered. And he said that Liberal and Labor should examine how a mandatory bank breakup might be implemented in a structured and ordered manner. Yeah, when we wrote the legislation, uh, Elisa, we had very much in mind, I think, comments of some very high-ranking uh, UK officials that said that we, if, if bankers are given a chance, they'll get between the wallpaper and the wall. Yeah, they're very adept at it. Very, very good at it. So we've got to be very clear on what banks can yeah, and can't it's do. it's got to be watertight. Um, Barnaby Joyce, who had opposed the Royal Commission, he came out saying banks should consider whether they should be in the financial planning business after the evidence has been delivered. It appears from evidence to be too much of a conflict of interest and a temptation for them. And various other uh, government MPs have said similar things about, you know, we didn't realise how bad it actually was. Um, and there's increasing talk in the media about uh, the fact that vertical integration will be coming to an end. What we want to stress is the culpability here of the government and the regulators. I mean, Scott Morrison, who said, you know, we knew, we were already aware of all this, he has said today that the banks are still very strong and stable. There are no systemic issues that are identified or likely to be identified. <laughs> That's basically saying, Elisa, this is what we say about Royal Commissions. The government always tries to fix the result. Mm. So he's basically trying to tell people that there's not going to be any issues yeah. to find. But look, how, why is that? They already know that they've already put the fix in in the terms of reference. Mm. That's why the, as I've said on the video before outside the rally, the, the Royal Commission has to be expanded and if it was allowed to be expanded, it would find the systemic problems. That's right, exactly. Now for more information, call in for a copy of our Australian Alert Service. If you haven't already done so, we'll send you a complimentary copy and even our legislation so you can read it. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to the CEC report. Syria and Russia lies unravel, expect threats to escalate. So a week ago we saw the US, UK and France launching strikes against Syria and the Syrian government based on uh, the supposed chemical weapons attack that had occurred in Douma. But they didn't wait for the results to be in, for the evidence to be in. And Theresa May, the British Prime Minister, in her speech, tried to come at it from various angles of saying, you know, why we had no choice, etc. But as various analysts have made clear, there was no basis in international law for what she did. The only thing she would could claim was a responsibility to protect, which is a you know, vague doctrine that really has no basis in international law uh, and which has been disputed by Jeremy Corbyn who has actually, the leader of the opposition, the Labor Party there, he has called for a War Powers Act to force future UK governments to seek approval from the Parliament. 
uh, because what Theresa May has done is she has essentially used the Queen's royal prerogative to make this decision on her own. Now, the point is that if no proof actually emerges that this was the Syrian government behind this or that there was an attack at all, um, you know, it's going to get worse because the perpetrators of this will have to cover up their tracks um, probably with more distractions and diversions, namely bigger and worse attacks. And they're mm. already mm. Um, beating the drums now about Russia conducting cyber warfare attacks on the UK. Now, what I want to do is go through uh, and show some quick video clips of a number of high-level people across the world over the last week that have questioned whether Assad was behind these attacks or whether an attack took place at all. And we'll see um, very high-level people, senior figures such as Major General Jonathan Shaw, the former head of British Special Forces, Admiral Lord West, the former First Sea Lord, meaning the head of the British Royal Navy, uh, Peter Ford, the former British Ambassador to Syria, US Senator Rand Paul, uh, and also American economist Jeffrey Sachs. So we'll just roll those tapes. Do you think anything what we've heard from either Sergei Lavrov or indeed the Russian ambassador has made it more difficult for the UK to launch any kind of attack without putting it to Parliament? Yeah, I, don't, I think quite apart from all that, the, the, the debate that seems to be missing from this is, uh, and this was actually mentioned by the, by the, uh, the ambassador, was what possible motive might have uh, triggered Syria to launch a chemical attack at this time in this place? Uh, you know, the Syrians are winning. Don't take my word for it. Take the American military's word for it. General Vergel, the head of uh, CENTCOM, you know, he said to Congress the other day, America, uh, Assad has won this war and we need to face that. So, and then, then you got last week the, the statement by Trump or a tweet by Trump that, that America had finished with ISIL and we we're going to pull out soon, very soon. Uh, and then suddenly you get... OK, I'm, 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 I'm very sorry. You've been uh, very patient waiting for us, but we do need to leave it there. I'm very sorry. Yes, uh, President Assad is uh, in the process of winning this civil war um, and he was about to take over and occupy Duma, all that area. He'd had a, a long, long, hard slog, slowly capturing that whole area of the city. And there, just before he goes in and takes it all over, apparently he decides to have a chemical attack. It just doesn't ring true. It seems extraordinary because clearly he would know that there's likely to be a response from the, from the Allies. Um, what, what benefit is there for his military? Um, most of the uh, rebel fighters, um, this disparate group of Islamists, uh, had, had withdrawn. There were a few women and children left around. What, what benefit was there militarily in doing what he did? I find that extraordinary. Whereas we know that in the past some of the Islamic groups have used chemicals and of course there would be huge benefit in them um, labelling an attack as coming from Assad because they would guess quite rightly that there'd be a response from the US as there was last time and possibly from the UK and France. It is it's not uh, certain by any means that it was a chemical attack. Uh, there are reports from Western journalists who were in Douma yesterday, reports that they could find uh, no folks who would confirm that there'd been a chemical attack. They went actually to the hospital where it was, where those videos were filmed. They spoke to doctors, uh, named doctors, so this can be checked, who said that there was no chemical attack. What there was, was an ordinary bomb attack that had people streaming into the hospital with smoke inhalation problems. 
And what happened then was that the white helmets, that's the jihadi uh, medical auxiliaries, uh, yes. started shouting uh, gas, caused panic. Uh, then they, everybody went into uh, gas mode. They started with the hoses and the inhalers. Uh, meanwhile, it was all being carefully videoed and put out by uh, rich Arab country propagandists. And there's a distinct possibility that we have been deluded. Well, I think before you talk about sanctions, we ought to talk about, you know, what evidence is there that, the Ru that Russia was complicit in this attack? In fact, for that matter, I still look at the attack and say, you know, Assad either must be the dumbest dictator on the planet or maybe he didn't do it. I have yet to see evidence that he did do it. The intelligence agencies claim they have that evidence. But think about it. Does it make any sense? He's been winning the war for the last couple of years. The only thing that would galvanize the world to attack Assad directly is a chemical attack. It killed relatively few people compared to what can be killed with traditional bombs, traditional machine guns, traditional tanks. And so you wonder, really, what logic would there be for Assad to be using chemical weapons? Right. And we know uh, they sent in the CIA to overthrow Assad. The CIA and Saudi Arabia together uh, in covert operations tried to overthrow Assad. It was a disaster. Eventually it brought in both ISIS as a splinter group to the jihadists that went in. So what I would plead to President Trump is get out, like his instinct told him, he by the way. Before, yeah. That was his instinct. Yeah. But then all the establishment, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Pentagon, everybody said, no, no, that's irresponsible. But his instinct is right. Get out. We've done enough damage, seven years. And now we really risk a confrontation with Russia that is extraordinarily dangerous, mm. reckless. And by the way, Craig, um, the Russians actually warned on the 13th of March that there was preparations by the White Helmets and others on the ground in Damascus, which is where Duma is, preparing a, a synthesised chemical weapons attack to blame on the government, knowing that the West would respond. So, you know, the threat of war here is very clear, but also the threat of the entire international world order, as shaky as it is, being overturned, um, and, and therefore there being no basis for recourse uh, for anyone that has disputes against the powerful Western countries. Well, Lisa, the world order is being overturned, but in a, in a good way, that you've got Russia and China, for example, as leaders of the BRICS groupings of countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa pushing for peace through economic development and through economic cooperation. Now, we never hear much about that in our Western media down here, but this is an enormous economic uh, expansion going on behind the scenes. We're in counter-position to the collapsing city of London financial system. Mm. And we always know that wars are driven by economic collapse because mm -hmm. as soon as a war comes around, you have all these new powers given to governments that can solve economic problems, right? That's the trick here. That's yep. the disgusting trick. So the, attack, the attacks that we're seeing on Russia and these sorts of things are designed to try and destabilise people about Russia's role in the world. And you just see you know, things like now the Syrian government and the Russians are trying to cover up the chemical weapons attack in Duma, for example, by destroying evidence. There's no proof of this. There's yeah. no proof of any of this. Mm -hmm. And that's where the Russians have been calling for going back to international law and looking at where's the proof for all of this. This is why we need Glass-Steagall as a first step mm -hmm. because it then takes the power out of the international banking system. Yeah. We also need national banking, which we don't have time to talk about on this program, but 
look, this is how we have to look at the world from a, from a different strategic point of view. And we've got to break our current reliance on Britain and America for our foreign policy. Mm. So, yeah, get involved. Call in for a copy of the alert to find out more and call your MP and make sure they go with Glass-Steagall. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.